Okay, so welcome to today's episode of InfoSec Journeys. We are absolutely delighted today to be joined by none other than Jack Resider, the creator and host of Darknet Diaries, a podcast which uh, if you work in cybersecurity or even if you have just anything remotely to do with the industry, I dare say you would have heard of. Uh, Jack, we're really excited that you've taken the time to speak to us to talk about uh, talk about your show, but also talk about how you got started in information security as well. We've got a lot to cover with you, a lot to pick apart. But before we do that, before we dive in, let me throw it over to you. Give us a brief introduction. Tell us who you are and, and what you're all about. Yeah, I um, I mean, a quick, uh, a quick uh, overview of my career was that I got a, a degree in computer engineering, specifically software engineering, a bachelor's degree. And then... Um, and I couldn't really find work, but then I got a, a, a Cisco certification, a CCNA, which got me in the NOC. And then from there, a security engineer position opened up, which got me into uh, security engineering, which is what I did for 10 years. So I was configuring firewalls and trying to build a SOC and doing that kind of thing. And then um, eventually I switched uh, to... Uh, become a full-time podcaster, which now I make the podcast Darknet Diaries, and it's a um, it's a hit. So this is it's doing well, and this is where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, we are absolute super fans of the show. I think to say that it's a hit is probably just a bit of an understatement. So I'll be honest with you, especially when you consider that you did it all yourself, right? This is not like a major company that's that's backing this, that's that kind of producing this and all the rest of it. This is Jack Resider in your bedroom kind of thing, starting out talking about hacking and, and what's cool in the industry. How, how did it kind of, I mean, we'll, we'll rewind further back into your InfoSec days as a knock engineer and stuff. But when we talk about Darknet Diaries, episode one, you're 70, 78 episodes in, I think now. Where, how, how did it kind of feel? Where did that kind of start for you then? Yeah, I mean, how did the podcast start? It was just something that I wanted to hear because I was really into podcasts and I was listening to shows like This American Life and Snap Judgment and Radio Lab. And I thought, these guys are great at making great stories that I would never have been interested in and I'm glued to it. But I'm actually in the, you know, the security field. So I know there's really good security stories out there. Everyone's got them. And, uh, you know, some of them I've heard. And so I'm like, let's have a podcast on that. And that just didn't exist. And I just, I talked to other podcasters like, hey, what do you think about doing a show on this or that? And they didn't quite understand because everyone is really interested in like current news in, in, you know, security uh, world. They're like, oh, what's news? Or interviewing people that are in the field. Um, but nobody's really just getting down into the incident that happened like six years ago and let's go back and let's cover it all, okay? So how did how did this person do it? And how did they get caught? And what was the damage that happened? And all the different, um, you know, twists and turns that happened in a good hacker story. And uh, yeah, I mean, hearing from the people who were there firsthand is always my favorite thing to do. Um, so I, I tried to get that as well. You know, even if it's that person's first week on the job, I still think they had an amazing story if they were there trying to battle you know, one of the biggest breaches of all time for that company, like they, they remember all the things because that was a big deal. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I wanted. And yeah, I just put it together. Um, I don't know how it was, I read some books on how to podcast, it took me about six months to get that first episode 
uh, done. Wow. Right? So it 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 was a lot of studying on how to podcast and stuff. I mean, it's super impressive. I think um, it's definitely saying that Dark Knight Diaries is a hit is a huge understatement. I mean, you've got a Shorty Award. Um, <laughs> you have millions of listeners. It, it's the it's probably one of the first podcasts that I recommend to any infosec uh, individual. And it has been, and uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely a fanboy here, and I've been listening since since day one. So it, it, it's it's the it, and I, I, the question I have is, how did you the, the production side of things? So you could have you could have easily created a podcast that was topical news, and it was you sat, sat there, you know, talking about the story, talking about the the incident, and 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 that's it. But how did you? what was the methodology and the mindset to say actually i want to make this entertaining you 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 might you might not think it is entertaining but to me i think your podcasts are so entertaining so gripping so riveting was there anything behind that yeah i mean i have i have a theory that you can learn a lot more when you're having fun and <laughs> so like if you can somehow make it into a game or make it fun and in, in my case i'm making it entertaining i'm i'm putting a lot of storytelling elements into it. And so, you know, when I was learning how to do this, one of the things I did was I found a Khan Academy course that's teamed up with Pixar and Pixar explained how to do storytelling and Pixar is great storytellers, right? So they're like, all right, here's what character development's like. Here's how story arc is, is done. And, you know, I, I really got absorbed into this so that I could try to keep you on the edge of your seat through the whole story and learn how to, you know, constantly keep the story moving and all these tricks and formulas for what storytellers know. So I mean, that's kind of why I had to spend like three to six months figuring out how to do, how to be a good storyteller and how to present this. Because if we back up, um, some of the skills I had to get to this point, right, were, um, well, like about seven or eight years before starting that, I was blogging. And so when I was blogging, I was basically talking about all of the things that I couldn't um, I, could, I, I couldn't solve by Googling, right? So I'm, I'm on the firewall. I'm trying to like configure it to do something. It's not working. Something's gone wrong. I'm Googling for days. There's no answers on Google, right? I'm asking anyone. Nobody knows. So you've got to go off the map at that point. You've got to say, all right, I've got to solve this. Whatever the documentation is, it's not good enough, whatever. I got to solve this on my own. And when I did that, I would blog those kind of things, right? So I'm really going into complex topics and I'm really getting into like really fringe, obscure problems that I'm having. And I'm trying to explain that as simple as possible on the blog. And so seven years of explaining like really complex <laughs> topics, it, that I think helped, right? Because I would really, I would look at those old articles and I'd say, oh yeah, I, I can make this better. And so I'd rephrase it and I would, move, you know, the, the answer to the top of the page instead of at the bottom or something like that. Right. And so I was really just trying to work on presentation and delivery and make it as understandable and approachable as possible to get this answer in like the first couple of seconds and move on. And so so I think I, that, oh, go on. Sorry. No, that was it. I was, I think, so you're referring to uh tunnelsup.com. I'm, I'm presuming, right. When you talk about your, um, your, your kind of technical blogs, your corner corner cases that you're, you're working on. So you're, you're saying that you'd write a blog and a few years later you'd come back to it with your kind of new skills of how to maybe tell a story a little bit differently or, or present an idea and go back and edit your old work? Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, and it, it, it's not so much a story there, right? It's just straight up dry technical. Right. Yeah. But the that in my podcast I'm working on now, Darknet Diaries, there's a lot of technical stuff I'm explaining and I'm using analogies and I'm getting, uh, you know, I have to teach, right? Like, like you were saying, Ashley, I got to teach. So this is a, this was something I had to practice. And the other thing that I practiced was I loved giving presentations at work, right? So I would develop a PowerPoint presentation and I would deliver that to the team and I would get people falling asleep in my presentation. And I'm like, all right, I got to be more engaging. I got to find something that's more, I like to call it tip of the arrow, right? So I build all these different things to come to a point, like a sharp point in the presentation where you just, I can kind of just drop the mic and walk away like, yeah, that's how, that's how we're doing this, right? And so I, I really tried to pack a punch in a lot of my presentations. And I did that over and over. So it was kind of practice on, on teaching through writing and through, you know, delivering in front of a group. Um, I think is kind of what helped me get this uh, podcast started. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I mean, so you're, you're a technical person. You, you understand technical concepts. You've done engineering, network engineering, security engineering. But actually, what motivated you to get that CCNA? You know, no, no one just walks off the street and thinks, I want a Cisco certification. Now, what was the start of that journey? Right. So I, I got my degree and then I looked around for jobs and I couldn't find technical jobs. And so I was like working in a pharmacy or anything that was just like not just to get by. And I was and after a while, I'm like, you know what, I got to go back and get I got to get technical jobs like this is ridiculous. I spent all these years. I love technology. What am I doing you know, working in a field that's not technology? And so I thought, OK, I, 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 how about I refresh on a cert? I don't know what cert. Let's just pick a cert. And so I sort of threw darts at a wall and found out Cisco seems to be hot. So I went and got a CCNA. And then as soon as I got that, like a couple of days after I got that cert, I got hired in the knock. So it was really just a, a, a chance to get back into technology. And that was a great idea because it, it carved my whole, you know, mm. put me on the trajectory in life. And I find it really interesting. So it, it touches on a couple of topics that we've explored in this series is you had a degree, but yet you couldn't get a job, but you took a certification and you had a job in, you had a job pretty quickly. So what do you think the, is there a large disparity between formal education and when I say formal education, I mean the systematic ed education, so schools, degrees, and uh, someone like myself and Colin who, who, just went straight into it and did certifications and learnt by YouTubing. Like, how, what do you see the differences there? Well, you know, I, I guess my family was really pushing on me to get the formal education. So I, you know, I, after high school, I really didn't want to go to school, but they're like, no, no, no. You, if you don't have a plan, we are sending you to school. Right. So <laughs> I kind of had to go to do that. And I was like, fine. I, all right. It was either this or the military. I might as well take that. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what I did. But, um, yeah, I think I walked out of college saying to myself, all right, I'm hot stuff, right? I've got this degree. I know all about computers. I, I'm, I should go straight to Intel or Google or something. And these people just weren't interested in me. Like, they're like, well, we might hire you as an intern. I'm like, intern, I need big money, man. I got to do <laughs> <laughs> I really had this like ego about it after getting that degree. And I think that really deterred me from 
kind of being humble and taking a junior level role or something like that. And, you know, if I look in retrospect, what I realize that a degree can do is it gives you a higher ceiling for where you can go in your position because there's certain requirements on some of that senior level stuff, uh, SME level, senior management, right? Like those kind of things, they want you to have a degree and you're not going to be able to get into some of those roles. It's going to be hard. You're going to just struggle more. You're going to lose out on some opportunities. So that degree gives you a higher uh, potential and higher ceiling, but you're still, even with the degree or cert or even no cert, you're still going to start at that bottom rung and work your way all the way up to that ceiling. So I think that that's where I see it. So the degree comes in handy. Uh, like it really comes in handy, like many years later, however, um, having that rounded out education, because I mean, in, in school, they'll teach you a little bit about Java and a little bit about uh logic right like binary gates and stuff like that and you know these things when you're in this in the infosec career world when you're doing anything you're getting thrown questions at you that are so obscure and so weird but you remember it from that one class in college when you weren't even awake that day but <laughs> you know that was the one time you were experienced you know exposed to this and, and it comes back and you're like I, I know this i remember this this is crazy that i know this but i know this so um, it just gives you that rounded experience of, um, of of just knowing so much more and then bringing that into the place. Do, do you think as well, like when you mentioned there about when you're, when you're producing an episode and you're explaining super complicated topics to an audience that might not get it as much as you do, it, do you think the way in which uh, these complicated or complex topics are explained in in schools and universities that methodology is kind of what you use or is it like do you go even further than that like you're explaining it to your your parents or your grandparents that kind of analogy scenario yeah i'll i'll i mean it's a really fine line that i'm trying to walk i don't know i don't even know if this is possible and a lot of people told me it's not but i want to i want people who are deep in the infosec space to get the show and appreciate it and feel respected not that i'm talking dumbed down to them fisher price mickey mouse level stuff but mm. that they're oh man i'm with you this is great i i'm actually learning as i'm as i'm listening i want that and then at the same time i want my parents and grandparents to be able to <laughs> and understand what's going on and i don't know how i'm able to do that but i'm somehow able to do that and i think it's because I do give those basic analogies to get going, but then I'll pepper in like some extra bit, extra crazy details that only you would kind of pick up on, right? And it's like, well, it's there if you want it, but at the same time, I'm going to, and it's, and when I'm explaining to like grandma or mom, I'm like explaining it for like one or two sentences. I'm just like, all right, look, Bitcoin is just like a digital money, right? Yeah, that's it. Like, let's just go on. I'm not going to like go into like 20 minutes on where it came from or how it's there. It's just like, it's digital. That's it. Or, you know, I'll just be as simple as I can. I don't want to convolute it. So, I mean, I think they get the idea. And the other thing is I think people in general are more tech fluent than we give them credit for. I mean, everybody, I agree. Parents are like, oh, I don't know. But, but didn't you last week, like set up like 20 different apps on your phone and you had no problem like connecting all these things. So like they, they know what they're doing. They just play dumb sometimes. Yeah, it's probably a lot of, there's a lot of terminology, but if you boil it down, the key principle is to, you know, kind of ring true with a, with a lot of people, I guess. And you, you describe yourself uh, quite 
um, uh, certainly recently, I've heard you describe yourself as a slow news junkie. And I think that's a real good way of describing how you um, kind of portray your uh, the stories within the show, right? That kind of s- slow newsreel of, and like that reveal of all of the information, the story and the culmination of what happened and stuff. I think it's a, a, a real good um, journey that you take people on. Do you, do you think there's a kind of resonance between, you know, when you're in a knock or a sock and you're kind of investigating an alert and you have to kind of threat hunt and you're picking apart that kind of forensic stuff that you're doing within the infosec space? Do you think it, that kind of skill set has helped you with the way you explain things in in that way? Well, it it helps me understand it and I can't explain it until I understand it, right? So knowing like all the steps it takes to do instant response and how things, you know, get breached and all these things like that's a massive step already that I have in that direction, right? So I understand all that because I've been in all those situations and, you know, so I don't really have to look up like, oh, how does that work? And how does that work? I can just start explaining it. Or, you know, I'll, I'll take a walk around the block and I'll try to think what's the easiest way to explain this as well. Like, you know, I've been in those situations. What does it feel like? And what is it? You know, I, I, I like to really put myself in those in the mindset of whoever's there handling the you know the situation. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. If, yeah, I guess it does help to explain it because um, it's a firsthand experience, too. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely well i I'm, I'm really keen to know as well i guess if you look at like something i'm a real fan of doing i look at like people's youtube channels or, or podcasts and stuff like that and i always love love to listen or watch like episode one what did it look like you know i look at like joe rogan's episode one and it's him smoking pot on his couch with his friends or something and you look at it now and he's in like this amazing studio and stuff it's incredible um and you think like uh, what from from kind of day one when you produce that show what how different is it from from what you produce now the methodologies you use the kind of processes the, even even like the mechanics the recording setup the the tools and software you use and stuff has much changed in that journey or is it fairly similar i, I listen to episode one and i'm just like oh wow how how beginner was i at that point that was really really cool um yeah i guess because i like the idea i think it was uh tim ferris said if you if your first episode sucks, or if it doesn't suck, if it's great, <laughs> then you started too late, right? You gotta you gotta start the first episode out sucking because you gotta learn how to do it. Um, so you know, yeah, um, I mean, at first I just grabbed the mic out of my drawer, right, and just used whatever mic it was. It was a cheap USB mic, and then as I was going, I was like borrowing mics from friends and stuff and like i i I need a new mic uh can i borrow anyone's mic and whoever was available to let me borrow their mic i borrowed it tried out a bunch of mics and then ended up buying one of one of them which was kind of a mid-range mic and then eventually i had my audience buy me my dream mic which is what i'm using now so i i what do you use out of interest right now it's the shore sm7b and i nice of course it is the big dog you're rolling with the big dogs there aren't you yeah so i love it so it bothers me when when new podcasters go straight for the big dog i want them to work their way towards it because i i i've been i've tried to make things all pretty much all my life right and so if i get too much equipment right away it i get this kind of like creative um like stall like i'm like i could do anything what should i do and i can't really do (laughs) And it's weird. So I really like to try to make something with what I have, get real scrappy, 
get creative, push it to the limits, know what I know when I need to go past that and, and, you know, figure out like all these kind of things, because um, you don't want to get too far into something and, and then, you know, it just doesn't go anywhere. Like if you're three episodes in, you're like, okay, I'm done. Well, now you spend all this money on this stuff too. Right. Mm. So yeah, I like to really justify the the need for certain things in my life. But yeah, the pacing and the writing of that first episode was just a, a first shot at this whole thing. And yeah, it seems it seems beginner to me, but um, I keep it there just so I can look back and see. Oh wow, that's uh, yeah, things have changed quite a bit. And I was very experimental in the in the early days. I was trying on different people's voices that I liked. And trying to find my voice, right? Like, oh, this person makes a podcast like this. I'm going to try that exact way. And then, you know, after about 20 or 30 of those kind of different trying on different voices, I uh, I settled into my own style and rhythm and voice. Mm. I definitely think you have a very unique uh, podcasting voice. And uh, I think if anyone in Infosec put your podcast on, they'd know, yeah, that's Jackery Sider. Um, and I, I, did did that come from the Pixar uh, the, the the Pixar training that you went on to c- come up with a a synonymous voice, or is that something that you've just you know known from from uh, listening to podcasts and listening to radio? Um, yeah. So to find my voice, I really struggled at first. I was like, I w- I really wanted it to sound like um, Elliot Alderson on on Mr. Robot or right. the the narrator in fight club right so um ed ed norton i guess it is mm-hmm. um the way they were just kind of what i what i realized um was that they they sound insomnia right they sound totally asleep like i'm just barely making it through like every word and uh so i stayed up till like three o'clock four o'clock in the morning like i forcefully stayed up until i was so exhausted and then i tried to record an episode and um of course, I messed up a lot. So now when I had to make the edits the next day, it sounded totally different than when I was asleep. And then when I look at it, it wasn't even close to like how I wanted it. And I was like, this was so pointless. So I mean, I did a lot of experimentation like that. I, I listened to Roman Mars and I tried Roman Mars's voices on. I listened to Aaron Minky. I tried Aaron Minky's voice. I tried Isla Glass's voice, Malcolm Gladwell's voice, like everyone who I really respected and admired at the time, let's give their voice a trial, you know, and, and just go in through over and over and over like different people um, and, and trying to write like them too. Like, um, like Malcolm Gladwell writes with like kind of strong points at the end of his sentences. And and then let's like, uh, you know, like five or 10 seconds of like dead air, like at, at the end and just let music ring for a while. And so I, I literally tried like all these, tools and methods that people are using in their in their podcast and that's how i think i arrived at my voice it was it was that trial and error and and i I don't want to say i copied it i want to say i was inspired by and then i i tried those things and i i I, you know gave it a shot and um yeah because you can't copy exactly you're never going to sound exactly like them so it's my inversion of what I hear, and then it's my ability to do it. It's never going to be the same, right? So, uh, yeah, I think I just ended up with what I have, which to me feels so natural and normal. Like, I kind of gave up trying to have any sort of voice, and it's just who I am now when I talk. Um, but it took me a while to understand that that's okay or how I want it to sound like. So it was a weird journey, and, yeah, I don't, I don't know much more. 
when you so you started episode one and you were you know going through full-time job still doing you know doing this as a side side hustle just making the content because you you loved it and you believed in it when was the point in during the dark Knight diary series that you realized i can do this full-time and i'm not talking you know from a financial standpoint because you know that that does help but you know, when, when when did you, was it episode 50, 20? When did you realize that this is my passion now and I'm going to do it, I'm going to drop everything else and do this? So um, I, I released four episodes and then the next day I gave a talk at a B-Sides conference. And when I was at that B-Sides conference, like this is the day after I released it, um, a person came up to me. I met a person there who had listened to all four episodes on their way there to the conference and couldn't wait for the next one. And this is a person I did not know. So already it had spread outside my friend zone and hitting people I didn't know. And they were loving it to the point where they were binging it. And that was kind of the first uh, feeling of, oh my gosh, I have something here. Like I didn't think I could do it full time, but I knew I was. I struck a chord in people, just those first four episodes. And when I talked on stage and I said, I have the show, there were like five people clapping already in the audience. I was like, how did it spread so fast? So, um, so yeah, that was good. And then, um, and, and so, yeah, so about three or six months into doing it, I was still working full time and uh, it was just getting more popular and more popular. It wasn't, and it doesn't grow like a hockey stick. A podcast grows very slowly but it was consistent growth and it was looking good and people just had nothing but great stuff to say. So I thought to myself, I think I, I think I've got something here and I see there's a way to monetize this in the future. And so I was really burnt out at work. What they were trying to have me do was build a stock, but they didn't want to give me very many resources. Like for instance, they said, here are three sock techs, make this a 24, seven, 365 stock. <laughs> <laughs> And I shouted like so much and uh, I never got anywhere. So I, uh, I just gave up on like caring and said, you know what? I've got something I care about a lot more. I think I'm going to quit my job for three months, see if I can make some money off this podcast. And um, yeah, there's like a dip there, right? So I, I was, it was unknown if it was going to turn around or if it was going to make money or if I could even keep interested in this and all this. So uh, I just kept at it and uh, yeah, made it that by the end of three months, I was able to buy some cans of soup with what I was. <laughs> and I guess like fa fast forward to today, I mean, 78 episodes in the, the breadth of topics that you've covered throughout your shows have, is phenomenal. Nothing short of I, I, and the level of detail that you've gone to. I've I've got some particular favourites off the top of my head. I really enjoy. I never thought I'd enjoy this one. I'll be honest with you, but I really enjoyed the Xbox Underground Part One and Two. Part <sighs> that One was mine. Damn fucking! I, I am telling you. Was it really? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm telling you. When you when you dropped the the cliffhanger of like, I'll oh, wait for Part Two. I'm like, I can't fucking wait for Part Two. I've got to listen to it. It was unbelievable storytelling and the characters. Everyone in there, and you realise this is real life. It's unreal. Um, I, I love that one. I absolutely loved. Uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm fearful now of, of ripping more of, of Ashley's list of his favourites as well. Uh, Glowing Symphony is probably my number one, just because of the the topic being so close to heart and stuff. And I think just fascinating the the concept. I, I, I want to dig into that in a little further, but let me get to my question uh, that I originally thought of. 
so you start episode one you realize you're sorry episode one two three four you realize you're onto something you're growing an audience the base is there people are kind of you know recognizing this is really something different you're making money you quit your job and it's it, it kind of snowballs and then you fast forward to today and i see a tweet from you jack saying you find it stressful to know whether or not it's actually going to work and do, do you still feel like that when you're this big this successful not really it's but that tw- so i think the tweet was something along the lines of um you know as a content creator it's it's hard to know if what you're making is is right you know like is this what the world wants is this what people are going to like um but nobody knows that and, and but the thing is is that when i have such ra- raving fans i know that they're going to have my back even if i fall on my face mm. and that's okay that's what gives me uh, kind of the courage to try things that might fall flat and that's fine because they're still going to be there and i think that's um that's just the, that gives me yeah it gives me it's it, the courage or the you know the ability to to try stuff that i wouldn't maybe normally try but when you're starting out and you don't have that group um it, it is it is quite frightening like what is what is the world going to say of this and all this stuff so so do that you feel was, like you, you write the episodes more for the audience, what the audience thinks is going to like, or do you find it you write stuff that you think you personally find quite interesting? Show for me. Because like I said at the beginning, it's, I wanted to show for me, and I still want to show for me. So I get into a story, and then I just keep going and going and going, researching it over and over. And I'm like, I find this interesting, so I'm going to throw this in. And yeah, maybe nobody else finds it interesting, but I'm going to throw it in. And there's a couple things that I just laugh at, but I know nobody else is laughing at because uh, they don't get it for some reason. Um, yeah, I have a lot of fun just making it. And I'm so glad other people appreciate it too, because it's like, hey, I'm just trying to make it because I like it. Yeah, that's but fair enough. Recognize what it is your audience wants and deliver that to them. So at the same time, I am you know, trying to figure out what, if my audience is listening to one episode and then quitting, how do I get them to listen to two? And if they're mm. listening to three and then quitting, how do I get them to listen to five, right? So what do I need to do to keep, keep them there and to stick with it? Because, you know, for a long time, I've, I've been researching marketing and growth strategies and stuff like that. And, and so I've got my head in that space a lot. Um, I spread this thing. So I mean, that's one thing I think is really good is, is not always going out and looking for new audiences or new people to listen, but instead, how can I make my current audience even happier that they're part of this? Mm. It's, it's, it, I, I'm listening to what you're saying, um, and it's, a, it's fantastic. But I'm also thinking, Jack, you're a really high-functioning individual. There's, I, I don't think any, any other person that I know uh, you know, uh, you know, Colin's extremely smart as well. Like, I don't think any other person I know would do this much research into something that they're passionate about. Like, it, it, you, you're, you're taking it to an, another level. Like, you know, so as a as a young Jack, is have you always been this high functioning? Have you always been so intelligent and so eager to learn about a topic? It doesn't matter what it is. You know, it, it could have been building sandcastles for Pete's sake, but have you, have you, have you always been that type of person? I think, it, I think it's more manic than it is high functioning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a specific topic and I just can't let it go. Like I just get so into it 
that I'm just like, all right, well, I'm not sleeping this week. I'm going to focus on this thing. And so, yeah, I really do sacrifice a lot of sleep to just get, just get into something, build a project, start a new blog, uh, research a thing. Like I just, I'm fascinated with stuff. I'll, I'll take lessons and learn stuff. Um, I remember there was, um, oh, I think it was a history book I was reading just for fun, like um, a couple, maybe like 10 years ago. And by the time I was like a few chapters in, on my desk, I had, I had to like clear the dining room table because on the dining room table, I had a map of that region of the world. <laughs> timeline that I had written out, like, okay, first there was this war and then there was this emperor, right? Like it was all this stuff. And then I had like pictures of people, like I had the whole table just spread out with like information because when you're reading the book, you're seeing all this stuff just come at you, but you're like, wait, was that before or after? And who were they people? So I kind of need to like step back if I'm really going to absorb something. And this goes for like, whether I'm taking classes in school or something, I really need to step back like after that class and, and see if I know it by by blogging about it, by writing it down, by printing out like something extra for me to see visually and say, okay, I think I get it now. And if I can do that, if I can, you know, if I'm taking a class, like, like I've taken a, you know, a Juniper class on <laughs> Juniper routers and switches, firewalls, um, I'll, I'll see if I can extract that information from that class and, and take it from my notes that night and turn it into like a blog post or or demo lab that I can say, can I do this? And that really, really solidifies that information in my head. If I just kind of ice skate through the thing and say, okay, I, I, my ears are open, my eyes are open, I'm, I'm writing, I'm reading, and okay, I'm so glad that's over. I don't get it. Because it's like, it's like you're surfing on the edge of, of your seat and, and it could crash any minute and it all goes away. So I just want that extra step of, how can I nail this down so I can remember it for, for quite a while? So, yeah, I mean, I think I have been uh, like that for a while. And I almost feel like you, you put that into your podcast. So if I, if I reference PSYOPs, for example, the, the, the first, what, couple of minutes of the, of, the, of the episode, you say this is a complete rabbit hole. And I almost, you know, your story of looking at the dining room table and then being maps all over the place, I almost feel like that's how you prepare for an episode you you, you get you, almost you get into character like your method acting um i mean this is totally my opinion it might be completely um irrelevant and not true at all but i almost feel like that's i can imagine you know if i if i, I if i think about you it just sat there in, in your office just have everything all the evidence out and you getting into it and you you know you you believe the story and you push that passion out into the podcast yeah it definitely is a lot of acting because that PSYOP episode, I I read. I mean, I wrote it and then I read it word for word. So I'm actually like sitting there reading a script uh, <laughs> like where it even says, uh, and uh, oh, yeah, and oh, wait, wait, I forgot one little thing. Like I'm reading that script, right? Oh, yeah, there's one more thing I wanted. To, I've just remembered. Like I, I <laughs> just remember. <laughs> I wrote that down <laughs> so I could totally go back and put that somewhere else. But it's but I, it's the way I deliver it. I feel like that needs to come out at that point of the story, and for me to do it, then I'll just say, oh, I'll, I, you know, I just remembered. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, like you said, method acting in that because I, at that point I had already researched it for three or four months, right? So it's not like it's a rabbit hole I'm going down with you right now. It's like I've been through this rabbit hole and I want to 
recreate what it was like for me to go down it with you or, or that's, how I that's really clever um because it it does when, when i think about it it comes off like you're, you're just kind of like ad-libbing this oh i've just remembered this and well it's, it's genius i love that do you have any kind of like um software tips then for how you collate stuff and organize stuff i mean I guess um, what one of my again one of my particular favourites um, is, is the episode on the Bangladesh bank heist, which is a, a subject which I'm so passionate about because I, I love studying the malware side of things. But I think it's such a complicated issue. Like, how, how do you even organise your your thoughts and the characters and the you know the bits and pieces of a story? Do you, is it is it literally like physical stuff printed out, or is it more kind of software based? How do you do, how do you do it? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes like in the Xbox underground one, I, I, there was, it was so complex and so crazy. I, I had to write down on a piece of paper, all the characters' names that were involved, who did what, what their, what their, uh, you know, hacker names were too. And oh, yeah. events on how everything came about. And before I knew it, I had like three pages of notes in front of me. And I referenced that thing like a million times when making that episode. So it was uh, it was very complex, and and the thing is is that when I'm talking with these hackers, they're like giving me hacker names that I still didn't even know. Like they weren't on my notes. I'm like, who are you talking about? Who is this person? And they're like, oh, that's this person. I'm like, okay, so I could write down their name next to the name. So yeah, there's sometimes I write things down. I like to use um, Markdown. I'm very familiar with Markdown to be able to use that quickly. So things like Trello or Notion. Um, are, are little apps that I use to take notes in. I, I um, write the stories in Scrivener, which is kind of like a Word doc thing, but um, you can, but you, so when you're writing in Word, you, you have like, so these stories are like 40 pages long, right? So what's this 40 page long document in front of me? No, I can't handle that, right? I need, all right, section one is, uh, you know, the intro. Section two is the early life. Section three is when they first did their first crime, right? So I've got kind of these chapters and Scrivener allows me to go straight to that chapter three, right? Let's go straight to chapter three and here's what's in chapter three. Um, but in Word, it's like, Word, I gotta scroll up and down, up and down, up and down. It's just too hard to find. It's a Jeff White favorite, that Scrivener. Mm. Yeah, Scrivener is just good for writing. Um, yeah, and so, you know, these are some things I use Zotero is a kind of a bookmarking tool. So I can go to a website. I like what I'm seeing. I can save it in Zotero. It then can save the entire website form or the you know, entire page I'm seeing. So, you know, if it's behind a paywall or something, I don't have to go behind the paywall again. I've got it in Zotero. And then at the end of the episode, I can tell, tell Zotero, give me all the resources that I've used to research this and it'll just spit them all out for me. And then I can paste that into my website so uh yeah it's kind of like a bookmarking tool that i can save pages with too that's, that's amazing cool. that is so you know you are a content creator journalist podcaster one step away from a netflix original right this, this is you you've got this this side of you but then you have the the other side of you as well which is technical technical writer, technical interest, you know, it, that technical person. How, do you do you now, I know you have to research the episodes and that requires, you know, immense technical knowledge, but how do you keep abreast now with with the changing landscape 
you know, are you hacking the box, you know, try hack me, or are you just reading, you know, hacking news and uh, bleeping computer or trying setting up, like you said, you said, you know, setting up Juniper Labs. Um, like, what are you doing to keep feeding that side of your persona? Or is it just because of the nature of your, your now full-time role, you, you can feed that also? Yeah, I think, um, I think because of my full-time role, I'm, I'm getting rusty with uh with the technical aspect of it things move so fast and i can't keep up and and like colin was saying i'm a slow news junkie and uh yeah i'll i'll look at old articles and read those and that's my like daily news and just right like oh hey look that hacker's finally been sentenced let me read that story finally right i won't i'll wait until that happened before i can really even get into it so um yeah i I don't really read the current news. I mean, I, I'm very active on Twitter, so I see what's going on and the buzz just buzzing around. Um, but other than that, I don't, I don't, I mean, a lot of people send me stories every day too. So what, I was going to ask you this, like, how do you get people on your show, right? Do you, is it more, I, I, I guess in the early days, you're going out hunting for stuff, but now it must be people serving stuff up that you're thinking, God, what, what is this? You know what I mean? What is this plate of worms you're giving me here? but uh i'm gonna finish my thought otherwise the uh what i do is i I still run my website so darknetdiaries.com and you know i'm adding features to that and stuff so so i've got like things i've actually have to do so it's kind of like work related right to to keep things secure and updated and launch new sites and move things you know i'm moving from github to aws and like i migrated and uh, adding backups and stuff like that so i still I'm, I'm securing certain things, right? And uh, I've got more data to secure now because I've got, you know, archives of the show and stuff. So I'm like, well, how do I store that secure this and that? So it's fun to, to uh, adopt these enterprise tools to practice that kind of kind of thing as well. So like, who, what are what are companies doing to do this? So um, yeah, I mean, I'm practicing in that sense, but I'm also doing hack the box when I can just for fun as well. So yeah, getting on the getting stories. There's three kind of methods that I think I do here. So one is I know that story exists because um, I've been to a conference or I've read the news, whatever. And so I can go see that story and tap on that person's shoulder because they were at the conference talking about that incident, right? I mean, that was how I got uh, the Saudi Aramco um, interview was because she gave that talk at Black Hat. And I'm like, hey, you already talked about how you you were an incident responder at the Saudi Aramco hack. Can you come on my show and tell me that same thing? And I thought I would never get an interview like that, right? Like Saudi Aramco is not going to uh, tell that, but she did. So it worked out. Um, So yeah, that's one way is just because I've got my head up in in that area. Um, Number two is I've um, I've got a bunch of Google alerts set up. So this is when a new article comes out on the internet and Google, uh, you know, sees it, then they'll tell me, hey, there's a new article with this keyword that you were looking for. So certain keywords that I'm looking for are um, hack that reads like a story or hack that reads like a movie, right? Like, well, what's this hack that reads like a movie Um, or hacker sentenced, hacker arrested. Um, These things are, especially hacker sentenced means Oh, we know the end of the story, right? So we know what they hacked, why they hacked, who they, how they got caught, and then what their sentencing was. Like, there's no, there's pretty much no more to this story because now it's that's the end of the story. So that's when I finally 
can look into that story and, and start noticing it. And so, oh yeah, like there's a couple new stories every month that are like hacker sentenced and wow, that's new. And that and these kind of things don't really hit our our news cycles because we don't see um, when that happens, it doesn't get talked about, right? Like, sure, there was the big Twitter hack that, you know, a lot of uh, high profile accounts got, um, you know, hacked to say, donate Bitcoin here or whatever, and that hacker got arrested. And I think that's the last we're going to hear of it. When that hacker gets sentenced, you're not going to see that on the news. Um, and, you know, when a second hacker gets arrested, you probably won't see that on the news either, right? So it's like, yeah, it came and went and it's over. So that's kind of the stuff I'm trying to find. I'm trying to tell Google, tell me when you find it. And then the third way I get um, people is when they, they, they come to me. And so you mentioned two of your favorites, Colin, was Xbox Underground and Operation Glowing Symphony. Xbox Underground, the one of the characters in there, Sanad, uh, got out of prison and then messaged me and said, hey, I want to tell my story on your podcast. I, I've been, I want to tell my story. And I just asked my friends and they said, your podcast is the place I should tell it. So what, what do you want? And I'm like, well, okay, who are you? I don't know what, you know, and then he sends me his indictment. And I'm just like, my jaw hits the ground. Like, oh my God, this is story. So that was it. And Glo Operation Glowing Symphony, when I was at DEF CON, um, I mean, that was an interview with, uh, with someone from the NSA. Like, um, with permission from the NSA to give that interview, which is just so incredibly rare for the NSA to explain, here's the hack we did this one time. So yeah, he got permission from the people and that's where I met him was at DEF CON. He came to me, he found me because I, I put on Twitter, here's where I'm going to be hanging out. And he came to me and said, hey, <laughs> I've got a story for you. And I was like, what? Okay. So I yeah. Mean that is so funny that the nsa gave you permission do you think it was psyops on you do you think it was a it was a positive bit of propaganda uh well i think it was propaganda because we talked about it like why are you even interested in this and um i think it i think general nakasoni is who was in charge of it he said we need to find ways to recruit young people like how do we how do we get people like interested in coming into the NSA? Like, what's that next generation? Where are they? And so this guy, you know, was working with General Nakasoni and NSA and said, hey, I know this podcast that's like hidden on the, <laughs> all over. So uh, people would like it if, we, if I were to get on there and tell them the story. And so, you know, this story had already hit the news. So it wasn't like a newsworthy story. Um, but um, yeah, it's like, yeah, get on that show. And then you know, see, you know, explain to people how they can be, you know, start doing some of this hacking with the NSA and cyber command. <laughs> it, 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 it's just, it's amazing, really. I honestly, one of my favorite episodes, I think it's so fantastic. Um, so you mentioned then, you know, you were at a conference and you said to the guy, like, listen, I'm going to be at this conference venue, come and have a drink, whatever, we'll have a chat about things. You're, you're very, um, I would say, astute with respect to your operational security right i don't know what you look like i know definitely know what you sound like and i think you have a very distinctive voice do you, do you go out of your way to keep yourself private or are you more kind of when you're at conferences do people know who you are and kind of follow you around and stuff how does it work for you well yeah i mean it's because i've i'm visible at conferences people do recognize me and they they congregate around me and stuff and it's fine. I like that. It's uh it's fun. But uh 
yeah, I uh, I do go out of my way to be private. I think it's important in today's digital world where everything is trying to expose you. And I'm like, I want to show people that you don't need to be exposed. Like, you, I don't want to talk about my private life or personal life or family life on social media or anywhere publicly. And um, yeah, I don't like to put my picture out there. So yeah, I, I just try to, you know, do what operational security best practices are. So I I thought it was really interesting in a um in a previous podcast I think it was with IT Pro TV you you talked about why you you went this direction it'd be fantastic if you could re retell that story because I um I find it quite interesting which direction uh so the, the 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 in the podcast you talk about how someone triangulate tr- triangulated your location from the background of the a video you posted online. Good one. So, yeah, I mean, I had created some YouTube videos years ago, which were just like projects that I was working on in my house, solar panels on the roof, um, water purification system that I tried to do a homemade thing. It was not very. Um, And so somebody was really like interested in these videos. They liked my style and presentation and stuff. And they tried reaching out to me on YouTube, but I didn't see it. So then they said, okay, well, how do I get, how do I get this guy's attention? So he, he looked up my name and found my address and looked at like pictures in the background of the videos and like, you know, figured out, oh, okay, I see that landmark there and the stuff behind. So he must live at this house exactly or something like that. Like there was a couple other steps he got to get my address. And then, um, from there he like figured out where i worked and then found out like my work email and then emailed me at work which was really really weird and creepy and i was like well, how did you figure this out and he told me all this stuff and i was like wow um so yeah he he said he was just a big fan from germany but um i mean that's a podcast episode in itself like in, how is he not working for the cia <laughs> <laughs> he was a so I, I took all my videos down and I, I, I like took that as a good lesson of like, all right, I got to I got to watch what I'm doing online here. I got to pull back and only put out things that I, I don't mind the whole world to know. And so, you know, I, I looked at um, all kinds of personal, you know, details that were exposed and stuff and started removing them. And I read the book Extreme Privacy by uh, Basil, Basil, um, Michael Bazell, <laughs> he's uh he really is good at helping you just stay invisible on the internet and um, your digital life. So I, I take all those kind of tips and tricks on how to do that. So, do you think there's a fine line though between um, being safe online and paranoia? Because uh, you, well, I I take a different view um, to other people and everyone has their views on on online security and privacy and i think you i think you are definitely right is there a lot there is a lot of oversharing um online um but how for the normal person what what is that line um i know this the sensible things you can do like not telling people you go you're going on holiday on facebook for example that's just really simple um opsec but what's your view on i know you you've got very strong views on 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 opsec but how does a normal person do this but still maintain a online uh presence 
Yeah, so this is an episode I actually want to do in the future, which, uh, you know, a lot of the episodes I do are like nation states hacking each other or or bad guys trying to make money or something like that, right? But there's a whole aspect of hacking, which is um, domestic hacking. It's a it's an ex-husband who's, you know, jealous of his, of his recently divorced wife or uh, a boss that's really doesn't like the female in the workplace or something, right? And he's just trying to sabotage her and stuff. And so it's a lot closer to home than we think sometimes. Um, so yeah, I mean, that is very possible that somebody you know is trying to break into your stuff and to harm you or ruin you or harass you or steal your photos or something off your phone. And that that, that really brings it a lot closer to home. So uh, a lot of people don't think that they're, you know, oh, what? So what if my credit card detail, details get stolen? I'll just get a new credit card. Like, it's not going to bother me. Yeah, well, there's a lot more things that can happen to you, which you just don't recognize. So, I mean, with that, I would say, yeah, it's good to be secure just in case something, some jealous person out there is really angry with you or you say something online that just causes a storm. So, uh, yeah, it's it's good. To, I don't think that it's paranoia. I think it's good to to keep it all secure because it's kind of, I kind of uh, look at it as like in the 90s, we kind of wrecked the environment <laughs> by like having oil spills and just not like paying attention to it and getting that back into the bottle, like getting that genie back in the bottle of like just keeping the environment clean and nice is so hard. And when it comes to our privacy and digital life, I think it's the same thing. We're, we're giving so much privacy away, just hand and foot. Yep, here's my sexual orientation, and here's what I'm doing this weekend, and here's what my kids have done this weekend, and this is their first middle name and last name and where they were born and what school they went to. And you're just putting this out there. It's not like companies are stealing it from you, like, oh, yeah, we're going to take that and sell it to someone else. You're like, no, 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 here you go. I'll put it right there out there for you. So um, that is going to be the, the, the next generation is going to try to try to put that in the bottle. And that's what's going to take the next, you know, 40 years for us to do. So um, eventually somebody's going to snap and say, what, what were we thinking? Letting all this out. And uh, hopefully it starts coming back. But don't you think we are too, we have, we have crossed that, um, that that moment we've we've crossed the, the the boundary already where data is king and data controls so trying to get the genie back in the bottle is almost impossible because of how companies generate revenue um if you were to say to facebook by the way we're cutting you off at the knees i don't think it would happen um and this is my this is this is my view um i think the i think privacy is getting to that point now where it's almost you have to take the level that you you take that you're taking um to be private but also being truly private is almost impossible because of how our data is aggregated um used for analysis used for many many different reasons um that almost the word privacy is going to no longer exist or lose value as 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 time goes on um what do you think about what do you think about that? I think I'm not willing to give up the fight yet. I think I'm still in it. I'm like, yeah, I can, I can hold on for a little bit longer. Um, I do think that there are 
there will be a shift at some point. Like you see things like Proton Mail that show up that are like, here's some extra secure email. And I think that appeals to a lot of people, not people who are just criminals or trying to hide from stuff, which is like, yeah, I need secure email. And so what we what we really are are, are weighing here is um, features or you know additional productivity or enhancements in our life versus security because you can you can take so many features away from us and we're we're much more secure, but we like to be able to share our location with someone else or have that messaging or communication or have you know cameras connected on our phone on our house that we can see remotely and in order for that to do that we probably need a cloud service and stuff so um you know these extra features that we keep adding make it so we give up a little bit more privacy and we give up a little i mean just me i was thinking the other day like if you can i'm i'm somebody who i i i i've got to determine i've got to compare sometimes between how much time it takes to be private versus um, how much you know how much that, that saves me so if i'm if i'm comparing do i want to save time in my life or do i want to be private that is a that is a tough comparison because time is like my most important thing in life i don't want to waste time i need like time is so limited um so like that's a really hard trade off so yeah it's it's difficult it's really hard to fight it right now but i don't think it's impossible and i think new companies are going to come out recognizing people have this need of wanting like VPNs don't log your data right and that's a that's great where's the like if data is king where's the VPN that's like we log all your data uh and like you know all this stuff like so there's just certain aspects that I think we really appreciate when it's secure and we probably will want more of that in the future yeah I agree mm. I like um, as well, you, you've got such a great um, insight into the mechanics of how you how you kind of run your podcast and all, also as well, not only that, but also the, the kind of strategies that you use and the mindset that you take. And I, I really enjoy the LimeLink uh, blogs that you put out. And it certainly helped me a lot in, in this process of putting a, a podcast together as well. Can I ask you, Jack, why you do that? And the reason why I ask you that is, do you feel like you're kind of letting go some of your secret sauce, the kind of the magic that you've created and the hard work that you've been through, the journeys of picking the right microphone and, uh, and, and you know, how to get sponsors onto your show and how to brand things and how to tell a story and all the rest of it. Like, like why share that with the wider world? Well, that's a good question. I remember taking a class by Alex Bloomberg, who's the CEO of Gimlet Media, and he teaches everything. Here's how to make a great podcast. I'm like, why are you teaching this? You you have you want to like be a successful podcast company, yet here you are teaching all kinds of people how to like compete against you. But um, yeah, I think that I, I think deep down, I think my main goal in life is just to teach more people things, and it just brings so much satisfaction to me to help others. And, and I think this goes back to like when I was just, you know, a, a kid in high school playing video games, like I was in the online guild that would help other people, right? Like I was just like, here's some, you know, equipment and I, I was beginner sword and stuff. I'll help you out. You need a map? Be like, here's a map. Like I, I was always helping people like wherever I wasn't in like the, 
the guilds that were just like griefing guilds and trying to like <laughs> cause people like anguish in the game. I was just like, I'm here to help. What can I help you with? So yeah, I've just always had this attitude and I like teaching and that's that blog you mentioned is lime.link, which I take all the things I know about podcasting and I blog about it on lime.link. And yeah, I, 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 I like uh, I like sharing information and and the other I think the biggest thing about blogging is just I don't want to remember it. I I forget so much stuff I don't want to remember it so I'm just like I'm just going to put that out now there's all the links I have for that particular topic anytime I need to go look up stuff for that I know where to go and I don't have to go look you know where was that saved on my computer I've got I don't want all these documents on my computer. Um, and I guess that's kind of my backup strategy too. It's just blog about it. That way I don't have to save it. That's a good strategy. I really like it. Yeah. I, well, I, I think as well, it, it generates this kind of culture of, you know, you're sharing your, your mechanics for your success and it almost makes you more successful. It's like this never ending cycle of like more, the more people mm. like you because you share that and therefore they listen. And, and it's just this never ending growth story, uh, I think. Yeah. I, I see it as you share, you share your knowledge. Others probably try and um, all the, you, you almost create a, um, uh, a platform of other podcasts so you're there probably at the top of the triangle and there's other people trying to, um, I'd say imitation might not be the right word, but other people are trying to um, create the same type of content and build and build to where you want to be. But in in by doing that, you highlight you as, as, as the Darknet Diaries is, well, that's where it all started and it all trickles down from there. So you build a base. Uh, uh, so I can I think it's really smart to share share your knowledge. Yeah, I think the I think what kind of sparked it when you know like ten years ago when I was working, I I got this idea of well the only people who know I'm any good at any of this stuff that I know are my boss, my coworkers, and my customers. Like nobody on the other nobody else on the planet knows I'm good or helpful or smart at any of this stuff. So that's I think where I got the idea to start blogging. And like, let me show other people that I'm good at this too, and not not in a selfish way, but like. Uh, you know, I'll help you, I'll teach you. And I, the other, oh, here's the biggest thing is when you're teaching other people, you learn so much more versus just thinking you know it. Because now you have to explain why is that the thing? And how, what other options are there and all these things. You, so you really expand your, your knowledge on, on stuff when you're teaching it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I definitely find that personally when I'm putting out content on YouTube, you think, the amount of times I've, I've I produce stuff and I think that's rubbish. <laughs> I'm just I, I need to go and read about this or, or learn or practice or what have you. It's crazy, isn't it? I get yeah, I've got a, yeah, sorry, go you, on. once it's out, you really learn a lot more too because you see the comments and you're like, oh yeah, I didn't know about that. And and I I really like that of put it out there and then see what people say because now you're going to learn even more about that topic. <laughs> how, like, how do you do with the negative comments then do you do you get them like do you do you kind of take them to heart how do you kind of take them on board if people don't really like the show um yeah i don't i i mean if they're if they have legitimate reasons you know because the mic is not right or the guest is lying or something then yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna adjust that or you know go back and edit it or fix it or keep that in mind in the future and, um, you know, I've added some, I've made some major changes because of comments that people have, but, um, 
yeah i mean it, like, like if somebody tells me i have a typo i'm not gonna like be like oh this is a bad comment or something i'll be like yeah thank you i'll fix that and i appreciate that and it's it's kind of hard to suppress that like oh, i'm a failure but you know you just have to because that's just you know you want you want the best version of what you're making so if somebody's here to help you make a better version then thank you let's go let's what else you got you know? so you got to really have that kind of attitude um, but there are people who just crap on it and I, I, it's just not for them. I mean, I don't like Harry Potter and that's fine. I'm, <laughs> there's a million people who do and, um, you know, that they love it and it's not for me. It doesn't have to be for everyone. So even though there's like a best-selling, you know, book out there, the, one of the most selling books of all time, uh, yeah, it's not for everyone. Still, it's not for everyone. And there's still tons of people who have never heard of it. They don't know what Harry Potter is which is weird, but that happens. Like there's millions of people who don't know who Joe Rogan is and he's the top podcaster. So that just happens and oh well, it's not for them. And I don't want to make a show for everyone. I want to mm. make a show get it and they want it and they and they like it. And you know, it's like it's, it's, if I try to please everyone, I won't please anyone. And if I try to please a specific group that I have in mind, then I can mm. do that's that's a really good philosophy. Um, it, do you think on, on that then? Do you think is there any kind of topic that you wouldn't cover on your show? Is there anything that like there's an area of cybersecurity that you just won't go there? Is there anything that stands out? Yeah, there's there's certain groups and movements and people that I think are just so stupid and horrible and rotten that I don't even want to give them any justification for mentioning their name. Or what, like how much hurt or pain they've caused, and it's just like, nope. Uh, like for instance, QAnon or anti-vax, right? Like these people are just so vile to me because the, the, your, your your brain is corrupted in such a horrible way that I don't want to perpetuate anything that you even think of. Period. I'm just canceling you completely off my show, right? So I can't tolerate certain just. I like I'm I want to be as anti-conspiracy theory as possible mm. and I want to be on the total opposite side of that and if I'm on the opposite side of that then there's no way I'm going to bring conspiracy theories on my show and what's weird is my dad is so much into conspiracy theories he's always telling me oh you got you got to just like say no it was aliens that stole this data code <laughs> throw that in one episode and see what people say I'm like I'm not throwing that in <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. Do you see, so, what did they think? Did they think? Are they like I? You you speak about you reference your dad quite a bit throughout throughout your episodes, right? Are they like so super proud of what you've done, or were they really surprised when you first started this kind of shift into podcasting? Yeah, my dad was not happy that I quit my job. He's like, no, 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 no. You're just about to hit your power years. This is where you're supposed to like just bank it. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm sick of it. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> He does not have. Let's make some goals, Dad. What should we do? And he's like, "All right, we'll win an award, and then, um, and then I'll, and then I'll know that you're like doing good out there." Because he listens, but he doesn't know how you know how it's going. Yeah. So that's what you mentioned. I won the Shorty Award, was it? Yeah. Then uh, the ones I showed them, I actually had a write up in the New York Times, and I sent that to him, and I was like, "Look at that. Your son's mentioned in the New York Times. Is that good enough, Amazing. Dad?" worth switching to and he's like all right all right all right yeah. 
Um, I, I mean, from the, from the get go, from high school, I've always wanted to start my own thing. So he knows that, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. That's cool. I really like that. Is there any guests that you, um, that you haven't had on your show yet that you really want that like, not a particular person, but maybe a type of guest that you struggle to get on your show? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I struggle getting people who are on the blue team, right? So incident responders, they uh, they don't want to talk about that time they got hacked. Like, I, every week I get a CEO that emails me, hey, we've got this business and we want to have a, be a guest on your show. I'm like, yeah, tell me about the time you got hacked. And I'll totally mm. have to go And like, oh, we're not going to talk about that. I'm like, well, then I'm not going to have you on my show. Like, you're just going to be like some expert in the field and talk about your product. But I want to know about that time you were hacked. And it's a very embarrassing thing. So I got a, it's a lot easier for me to find criminals out there telling me about the criminal acts that they are committing versus people who are telling me about the, the defense that they had to, you know, go through in order to handle a breach or an attack or something, right? Like they just, nobody talks about that. And, and it's usually corporate. That's like, oh yeah, don't talk to press about that and stuff like that. So that's difficult. Yeah. But as far as a person goes, there's this guy that's in my mind Charlie Miller, I would love to get on the show one day and interview him. And Charlie Miller is uh, on TV now doing all kinds of interviews and he, and he doesn't mind talking about stuff, but he only talks about car hacking now. And the thing is, is that before, like if you look at his Twitter bio, he says, I'm that zero day guy. And that's what I want to talk about because Charlie Miller used to be in the business of, of trading zero days, finding zero days, selling zero days. And he doesn't want to talk about that period. And if my thing is, if you don't want to talk about that period, then why does it say on your Twitter bio, I'm that zero day guy? <laughs> because you're trying to put that in your past. It's right there. Like, that's the number one thing you're known for. Uh, it's weird. So, yeah, I keep asking him, hey, Charlie, can we talk about zero days? Yeah, on my show. And he's like, no, never. It's never going to happen. And I'm like, all right. Waiting for the statute of limitations to pass. <laughs> That's fascinating because I was going to say he's big on Twitter, right? You know what I mean? So I'd be amazed if he if he doesn't want to have a profile. But there's clearly a story there, isn't there? There really is. He, does he not? Does he not want to even talk to you? Like not even a story, like to publish an episode, just have a conversation, you and him over a virtual beer kind of thing. Well, I don't know. He he just doesn't give interviews on that. He'll talk about car hacking all day long with me, I'm sure. Well, if I ask him about that on the podcast, he will. But um, yeah, he doesn't talk about the zero. Yeah, maybe maybe get your friend in the NSA to go and twist his arm or something. Yeah, maybe that'll work. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Do, do you feel like... Um... I only got a couple more questions for you because I know I'm I'm really conscious of your time as well, Jack. But oh. I I think um, do do you do you worry about the runway for the show, like, or or do you think like cybersecurity, the landscape is just a gift that keeps giving? You know, there's so much stuff out there that you can talk about and report on. Yeah, there's so much. It's just it's never ending. Everyone's got like if I just run out of stories, everyone's got like pen tester stories. So I could just go interview like a hundred pen testers and say, tell me about that time you broke into this building. And how exciting that was, right? Because those are always so fun. What tools are you bringing? And what was the OSINT that you did beforehand? And what happened when you got into the building? And how did you get past you know, these security checkpoints and all that stuff? Everyone has great stories about what they've done there. And it's always so much fun to listen to. So if I run out of anything, I can just always go back to that. 
uh, those are easy to pick up and people don't mind telling me those. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's always new news coming out and there's just tons and tons of stories. So I don't have a worry about that. However, I do worry about getting the story out every two weeks. The, the, I barely can get things put together in that time. So that runway, I, uh, I'm always stressed out on of like, oh man, all right. Like I just got put an episode out this week and I got to immediately start thinking about the episode that's coming out in two weeks. And if that's ready and it's not ready and I've got to get approvals from these people and the sound designer didn't get this done and all that. And so it's just like constant running around, barely getting things together. And I, I wish I had like four or five episodes banked, but I don't. Mm, that's really interesting to, to know that you, that you don't have a month of episodes just ready, ready to kick off. Or coronavirus or something, <laughs> not mm. from coronavirus, but like, I, you know, things happen, life happens. And you're just like, oh man, I don't feel like working this week. And so you don't, and then you get behind. But now you're in the position where I see you're kind of looking, you're, you're recruiting, right? Is that right? You're, you're kind of bringing people into your sphere to help write with the content and things like that. How's that going? So, uh, for the first 40 episodes, I made it 100% myself, and even the artwork, but I sucked at the artwork back then. So I redid that artwork. So now uh, now that I, the show is making money, um, it's I'm able to afford all kinds of help and especially with Patreon donating as well. So um, I've got artists, like four different artists that are helping work on different things, which is weird that a, a podcast need artists, but I just love putting new artwork for every episode and putting t-shirts out with new artwork unrelated to the show. Just, hey, this looks like a cool t-shirt, let's do it. Um, <clears throat> and so I've got artists and I've got writers and I've got uh, producers and sound designers and then fact checkers and stuff like that, uh, editors. So probably like eight or 10 people now um, in various forms. So for one episode, I'd have one, you know, one artist, one producer, one editor, mm. one. Well, that's only like four people, right? So it, it, the, like the 10 people are all working on different episodes at once. Nice, that's really cool. Amazing how it can grow, right? Yeah, you must be so proud of the uh, of the of the position, and the, and the kind of the baby that you've developed, and, and watching it grow and mature into this into this world. You know, won't be long before Spotify come along with their hundred mil deal, Jack. I reckon. Yeah. I don't. Th yeah, I don't think I'll take them up on that one. I think uh, <laughs> uh, I don't like the idea of of walled gardens for podcasts. So, all right, I love it. Listen, I've had such the best time talking to you today honestly i've i've made so many notes about the websites the courses the tools the software the ideas the mindset that you uh i've kind of spoken about today and honestly i i can guarantee that our listeners will absolutely find this complete gold dust to, to peer into the the insights the mechanics of how you started and how you created such a successful uh, platform uh, with with amazing content. I, I yeah, I've worked in the industry for for many years now, and I still learn stuff by listening to to your um, to your podcast. And I still get excited about what you're going to produce next. I'm always looking forward to it, and that is just a unique. I, I don't I don't look forward to Joe Rogan anymore. I look forward to Dark Knight Diaries constantly, and I've never lost that 
that kind of little flame uh, for for what you've what you've developed. So thank you personally for for what you've done in the industry, um, and also thank you as well for for sharing all of your insights, your journey with us, your mindset as well. Honestly, I've I've learned a lot. Yeah, it's wow, been fantastic! Thank you both.